0: and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with, because we believe in taking notes here at Victory. I believe in it, and one day I will convince all of you that it is important to your spiritual life to jot some things down. Uh, we're in this series called The Best Year Yet. And before we jump into that, I just want to remind you again, 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is week two, and so I just want to encourage you. We have seen the move of God. We are experiencing God. And there's actually a prayer card, a couple of them, that people have come back and written, that God had answered that prayer as we begin to pray during these 21 days, and I just believe God is going to move. I had some awesome nights. All of our team did an incredible job this week uh, in bringing the message each night and just giving the word of God, uh, giving some focused prayers, some times like that. And so just encourage you to jump on board with us. Now, if I know some of you are new to fasting, and so maybe last week you started out like, I'm not going to eat any fast food, and I'm not going to watch any media, and I'm just going to cut all of that stuff out of my life, and I'm just going to go after God in like week, I don't know, day Two or three, you were like hitting every fast food restaurant in town and binge watching Netflix and kind of crying about our spiritual failure. If that is you, I just want you to know there is grace in Jesus' name. The devil would love to get you legalistic about your fast and condemnation to kind of creep in. I want you to know that you can let that be the past. The two weeks is a long time to fast, everybody. You can start anew, you can join us. You don't have to feel like an outcast. There are probably a hundred people who are in that place right now, all right? So you can jump in with us this week. That's every night at 6 o'clock. We meet here in person. Uh, we stream it online in the mornings as well, if that works better for your schedule. Uh, and then Saturday is online in the mornings. We just join together in prayer. So I encourage you just to join us for that. I know God is going to move because there is no better way than the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Honestly, I believe to get some spiritual momentum in our life, in the life of our family, in our personal lives, the life of our church. That we can stand against whatever the devil is about to throw at us this year. Amen, everybody, because I don't know what it is, but how many know it's coming? How many know like we have we have walked through some things that we know that this year is going to have troubles of its own. Jesus said in this world, you will have troubles. That's really encouraging. Right now. He finished it with I have overcome the world. So take heart. But he said we will have troubles that we're going to walk through, that we're not supposed to take hard and find our confidence in him. And so during these 21 days, we just commit the beginning of the year to God. We just put it in his hands. We say we know stuff is coming, but we know who holds the world in his hands. And so we're just going to commit that. And so join with us. I would encourage you. I'm calling our entire church. You don't have to give up food for 21 days, but experience, just participate in the spirit of fasting. Give up whatever it is that has its hold on you. Whatever it is that has has too too much of a grip on your life. Whatever it is that you thought, I could give that up anytime I want to. And then when it came time to do it, you were like, ah, you know, not that. I'm not giving. Whatever that thing is, let's leave it behind and let's go after everything God has for us. Amen, everybody? Because we are in a fight. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, put on all of the armor. Of God, Put on the full armor so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I think it's interesting it says that because the Bible talks about how God has a plan for your life. That God has a strategy for your life. He has plans for you. But I want you to see on the flip side of that, that the devil has tactics and schemes that he's trying to bring into place against humanity. He has things that he's trying to do. The Bible says he's only here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so he has a plan for your life. And honestly, it ends in destruction every single time. But I think it's curious. I pray that you notice that it's saying put on the armor of God because I want you to recognize that this is warfare, that this is something serious. This isn't patty cake that we're playing. This isn't something pretend that we're trying to do. And we talked Monday night uh, about spiritual warfare and about what the devil's trying to do and about the attacks that come. Because as much momentum as we get in these 21 days, as clearly as we hear the voice of God. I promise you that during these 21 days you will see attacks like you've never seen them. And I would not be your pastor if I didn't warn you that during these times there are attacks that come. Because the devil, the last thing he wants is spiritual momentum in your life. Last thing he wants is you drawing close to God. The last thing he wants is you reading your Bible. Last thing he wants to see is your life start to take up the trajectory God has for it. And so the attacks come like we have now. We've already seen uh, in our staff's lives, in our own family, we have seen attacks that come during these 21 days because the last thing he wants to see is momentum, is spiritual momentum. So the Bible says, take up the full armor of God. And for this reason, it goes on to say, take it up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against, but it's against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of the world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And then it goes on, put on that you may be able to stand your ground in the evil day. And after you've done everything to stand, I believe that's God's command for us. I believe there will be opportunities this year that the church is going to have to stand. And we're going to have attacks that come against us that we're going to have to stand our ground. And if we don't do at the beginning of the year and set our face like a flint, if we don't at the beginning of the year say, I'm going to follow after everything God has for me. If we're kind of wishy-washy here at the outset, how much more when the attack comes? And we have to stand our ground because I believe that's our call for the church this year that we're going to have to stand. Now, what we're going to do for the rest of our time together is we're going to go to a story that I love uh, in Daniel chapter three. So you want to go ahead and turn there in Daniel chapter three. Now, we've studied this before, but I want to look at it from a different perspective today. Uh, hopefully a fresh perspective for you, something new that we can learn from this as we begin. Because last week I told you this could be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. And I truly believe that I tell it to you every January, but I believe that if this is the best year of your life, spiritually, it will be the best year of your life. And so we've got this series called the best year yet. We're looking at things that God is calling us to do. Last week, we looked at pursue, looked at the story of David when he asked God, shall I pursue? And God said, pursue and recover all this year. We're looking in the story in the book of Daniel, because there are three guys who stand for what is right. Three guys who understand this call that we're supposed to stand in our faith. They stand for what is right and then the wrong thing happens. Let me give you the backstory. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he invades Israel and he conquers the entire nation and he carries off into captivity the best thinkers of the day. So he gets all the best thinkers, all the best minds. He carries them off back to Babylon in captivity. Now, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are part of this group that gets carried off. They're part of this group that gets taken into captivity in Babylon. And so Daniel interprets the dream of the king while they're there. And so he is elevated into the government. He becomes the second in command. Gandalf is elevated into this into this government. He becomes in command of all these satraps and provinces and all these things. And so he does what any good friend will do when they get promoted. He hires all of his friends, all right? He gets them all jobs in the government, which, young people, this is a great, uh, this is just an incredible you know, tactic for business. You, this cannot fail. Hire all of your friends when you get a position of power, all right? This is great business. Advice from Daniel. So Daniel hires all of his friends. They've got go- jobs in the government now. And so they're all on staff. And so this is where we pick up the story because King Nebuchadnezzar decides I'm going to create a new religion. Like he just wakes up one day. He's like, I'm going to build a 90 foot statue on the plain of Dura and I'm going to call everybody in my king. We're all going to come together, all these leaders that I have in my government, and I'm going to create a new religion. And what we're going to do is we're going to play the music and everybody is going to bow. And so that's where we pick up the story in verse four, because the herald comes from Nebuchadnezzar and the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you're supposed to do. Here's the command of the king. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zitter, the lyre, the harp, the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And watch this. Watch what comes after this, because it all sounds great till now. We're creating this new religion. Here is the music. You're going to bow down to it. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This is the message being given to the people. We've got this new religion and you're going to bow down. We've got this new way of, of serve. This is going to be your new God, this statue that we have built. And you're going to bow. And if you don't, you're going to get thrown into the furnace. It's amazing how the devil always manipulates out of fear. It's amazing. You can honestly tell the difference usually between the devil and between God because devil always manipulates out of fear. God leads through love. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. God always commands out of love. The devil manipulates out of fear. And if we try and make faith-filled decisions out of fear, decisions about our faith and who we worship out of fear, then we will always give in to the devil's tactics. We will always give in to the schemes. When the world plays its music, figuratively and literally, when the world plays its music, when it tells you what you're supposed to value, when it tells you what kind of life you're supposed to live, when it tells you who your God is supposed to be, When it says how you're supposed to raise your kids and what your priorities should be, we have to decide, am I going to bow or am I going to stand? When the world plays this music, we have to decide, am I going to bow before it? Am I going to give in to culture's pressure or am I going to stand? And so Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they make their decision that day. And the decision they make is that they would stand. That they would not bow their knee to any king. They would bow their knee to only one name under heaven. And it wasn't King Nebuchadnezzar's name. It wasn't Babylon. It wasn't a 90-foot statue on the plain of Dura. They would bow their knee to only one name. They decided they were going to stand. Well, of course, people didn't like that. Verse 8, the tattletales of the day show up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and began to tattletale on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, O king. And now most of the time, tattletales, they speak with a nasally, right? They speak through their nose. So just imagine that as you're hearing this, all right, everybody? But there are some Jews, O king, whom you have set over the affairs, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's some guys over there, O king, who pay no attention to you. And they neither serve your gods nor worship this image of gold that you have set up, O king. And they don't do any, God, oh king, they're not doing what you have asked them to do. Which consequently, if you are a tattletale, please stop everybody, alright? Just, that's just free for you today. The road to success does not lie in ruining somebody else's life, alright? I'm just going to let you know that. But they begin to say, there's a problem, oh king. There are people over there who aren't doing what you asked them to do. We got to stamp this out. We got to squash this because they're not doing what culture has asked them to do. They're not doing, oh, king, what you have told them to do, O king. They pay no attention to you. They're not doing it, O king, because they're not paying attention to what you have said. And so the first question we have to to settle in our hearts, if we're going to stand at 2022, is what am I paying attention to? What am I giving my attention to? If we're going to stand for God, if we're going to stand strong in our faith, then the first question we have to settle is, what am I giving my attention to? Because there's a lot of voices in the world today, and it's amazing how many of them know exactly what you should be doing with your life. How many of them know exactly how you should be raising your kids? How many know exactly what you should be prioritizing? How many know exactly what culture you should be embracing, what God you should be worshiping? It's amazing how many of them know exactly how you should live how you should spend your time, and every so moment, every so often, in your life, you may have a moment where you kind of have clarity and think, "Am I crazy? Like, am I? Am I the only? Like, am I not seeing? Like, is no one else seeing this? That this is trying to get us to value this, or trying to prioritize that?" Like, am I, am I the, are we, are we crazy? Is this something like, like, why are people who say they believe what we believe, not doing what we say we believe? And why is this happening in our life? And you begin to ask yourself, am I the only one? Like, what is, what is, there had to be some moments for these three Hebrew boys. There had to have been that moment that they were in my holy imagination. I'm reading into this. You can throw it all out, right? All right. But there had to have been more Hebrews taken than just the three of them. Like there had to have been more out there that day on the plains. And so there had to have been others who were bowing at that moment. There had to have been others who were bowing before. it, And so these three had to have had that moment where they kind of looked at each other like, are you going to bow? Am I going to? Are we doing like I'm not going to bow? Are you going to? They had to have had that where they look at each other. Are we going to do this? Are we going to let a king tell us who to worship? Are we actually going to allow the the government to set who our God is? Are we going to... 90-foot statue? This is crazy, right? Like, they had to have had that moment. And honestly, they had to have had the moment. And where is Daniel? Like, he's the one who got us into all this, right? Like, where where is that guy right now? Theologians speculate that Daniel was actually on a mission to another province. That because he was so high up in the government, he just wasn't there that day. Lucky Daniel, right? Just lucky... (laughs) Look, he's kind of looked out in that he's got lions coming, so don't worry about him. But you can feel crazy when the media says something, when the government says something, when culture tries to say something and Hollywood is saying something and all these voices in your life are trying to say, this is what you should prioritize. This is how you should live. This is who your God should be. And you're going, wait a minute, but the Bible says something different. Bible says something different. I'm kind of confused why people who would profess to believe what the Bible says aren't doing what we say we believe. And I'm just telling you, you can be influenced if you don't watch what you give your attention to. If you feel yourself 100% 24-7 with every voice of the world, every voice of culture, every voice of the news, every voice that tries to dominate your life, you will forget very quickly what the Word of God says and you will give in. When the world plays its music, are we going to stand or are we going to bow? The Bible's called us to stand. I'm just telling you, we at the Workman Household and here at Victory, we have decided that we will live at peace with every person as far as we can, and we will be at peace with all, and we will allow things until it conflicts with the Word of God. Because we're going to stand on the principles of God's Word no matter what. We are going to stand, because it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The principles of God's word are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to stand on his word and we will only bow our knee for one name. And it is not the name of any politician. It's not the name of any world leader. It's not the last president. It's not the current president. It's the name of Jesus Christ. That's the name. It's the only name under heaven and earth. The Bible says by which we are saved. And so we're going to stand in him and I don't care who hears it. It's a moment of conviction and we're going to stand strong. And we're going to say that we will not, we will not bow. And we will stand for what God has called us to. So the king gets these guys and he's like, look, I understand that you guys aren't bowing. The tattletales have told me what you guys are doing. But he's like, look, it's fine. Like, I like maybe, maybe lines got crossed. Maybe you guys didn't hear. Like, we made a proclamation. Maybe you didn't get the memo. We sent it out, but maybe you didn't get it. Like, maybe you don't follow us on Instagram, whatever it is. Like, I understand. We're going to iron this thing out. So he gets the guys before him. He's like, look, we're going to make this thing right. We're going to give you another chance. And he said, it's cool. But then verse 16, he gives them another chance. But 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. We got the memo, O king. We we understood the broadcast. But we don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. And he's willing to rescue us from your majesty's hand. He said, we don't have to answer you in this, O king. He'll rescue us from you, O king. We're not worried about you and your declaration and your 90-foot-tall statue. We're not worried about that. So the question, next, second question we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to stand in this year, we're not going to bow. second question we have to ask ourselves is, then, what am I putting my faith in? Who am I placing my faith in? Who am I placing my trust in? If I'm going to stand, who do I really trust to protect my faith my family, my future. Who do I really trust to protect my life? Who do I trust to protect my family? Is it my own plans? Is it my own initiatives? Is it the government? Is it my own strength? Well, who am I really trusting to propel and to use my future? Who is it ultimately that I place my trust in? Who is my faith in? And I love what the Hebrew voice says in then in verse 17. And he says, the God we serve is able and willing. He's able to rescue us and he will rescue us. And church, I am confident that God is for us and not against us. I am confident that the God we serve is for us and that he has good plans for our lives. And you got to have relationships around you. We talk about that all the time. But you got to have a faith and conviction inside of you that you know who your God is. That we can say with Paul, I know whom I have trusted and I believe that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him. I know who my God is. I know where my faith lies. That as we walk in this world, I know I can stand my ground, that he will surround me, that he will protect me. He will give his favor towards me, that his face will shine on me. We can say with Paul, it doesn't ha- matter what happens in this life. doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. doesn't matter what I'm shipwrecked or what happens in this life. I know who I have trusted. I know where my confidence lies. Now, it's amazing how many times we ask God to do great things for us. We ask God to do incredible things in our life. And then something happens. We want God to bless us. We pray these prayers. God, would you, would you allow us to be closer to you? God, would you lead us into a closer relationship? And then God brings the answer to our prayer. It's amazing how many times then we try to pray away the answer to our prayer. How many times God will bring the answer to that thing that we want him to do in our life and then we'll start praying it away. We pray, God, would you, just, God, would you make me a better leader? And then everybody in your life quits on you. And God's like, all right, now you have to be a better leader. You have to lean on me. And you have to develop people in your life. Because I would suggest to you today, the way that God touches us is by taking us through things to get us to the place he wants us to be. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2 says it this way. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. I'll be here today that you may have to go through some things to get to what God has for you. That you may have to go through some stuff. And Lord knows we have gone through some stuff. But that God is working it out. That God is using that to to allow us to get to where he wants us to be. The Bible says when you go through the waters, you're not going to drown. When you go through the fires, it won't burn you. It won't consume you. That God is walking with us. But the problem is, is we don't want to hear. And the reason why probably none of you are clapping today is you always have to go through to go to. That God has to bring you through. And we don't like that. We say, God, God, make me a better leader of people. God, make me a better thing. And God then allows the situations to then make us better leaders. We say, God, allow me to develop people and to have relationships in my life. And then God takes out some of the relationships that are not good for us, not healthy in our life and allows us to make new ones. And we don't like that. We feel uncomfortable. We say, God, make my marriage stronger. And then God brings up all those issues that you fight about all the time. So now you have to finally settle them once and for all. Come on. And we are praying, God, what is this? Make it stop, oh Lord. Like, <laughs> take this away from me. Too oftentimes we pray away the answer to prayer that God is bringing. It's amazing to me how God uses seasons in our life. Because these three guys are well-seasoned. You'll see in this story, these three guys have gone through some stuff. The reason they're able to stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar, the reason they're able to say that is because they've already been through seasons where God has shown himself faithful. These three guys are looking back because I would remind you, they were taken as slaves from their home country. They were taken to a foreign nation. And yet God's hand on their life, they still rose to power. They refused to eat the king's food. They set themselves apart. They ate vegetables for weeks, everybody. Come on, somebody. They sacrificed. They sacrificed. And yet they still rose to power says they were smarter, stronger than all the ones around them, that God's hand was on their life. And so they were able to look and say, hey, look, God has been faithful to us. And so we know he's going to be faithful from here on out. We've seen what God has done. Like last week, we looked at David where David went to fight Goliath. And he said, look, I I fought the lion and the bear. This Goliath is nothing to me. Come on, bring on the giant. I have already seen God be faithful when I was out with the sheep. I saw him faithful with the lion and the bear. And so this giant is nothing to me. But none of us would pray, oh, Lord, would you send a bear to kill me today? Like, uh, just praise the Lord so I can grow. That's just what I need in my life today. None of us start our day, oh, Lord, would you? None of us have our head in the lion's mouth going, praise the Lord. This is just an opportunity. These teeth are sharp. I just, I said, praise. Like, I hope I live. This would be an incredible testimony. None of us are in the midst of that praying, oh, God, would you just send more trouble my way? Praise the Lord so I can grow. Praise the Lord. God, would you just build my testimony? And yet all of us have walked through fire. All of us have walked through things. And I promise on the other side of that, in the midst of it, maybe we didn't see. But you should have that confidence now that God was with you then. God is with you now. That what he said before, he is still faithful to produce. That God is with us. You got to have that confidence in him. That confidence that what the devil intended to harm you, God can turn for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm just telling you, you got to go through to get to. And God's got some great things for your life that God has in store. God has some purpose beyond your wildest imagination that he wants to do in your life, that God has a plan for you. It's good preaching, everybody. Verse 18 is my favorite part. Verse 18, this Hebrew boy goes on to say, but even if he, I know God is able and I know he is willing. And I know that he can and we've seen him work in our life. But even if he does not, we just want you to know, O oh king. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Here's the toughest one to answer of all the quail. We're going to settle some things in our heart. We got to ask, what do I give my attention to? We got to ask, who do I put my faith and my trust in? But the toughest one we have to ask ourselves then is what will it take for me to quit? He says, even if he doesn't know, we know he is, O king, is able. We know that our God is willing, O king. We know that he can. We know that he will. But even if he doesn't, we just want you to know, O king, we're not going to bow. We're going to stand. Even if he doesn't rescue us for it. And so the question we have to resolve in our, what will it take for us to quit? What's your breaking point? What's our breaking point? For some of us, it's not very much. For some of us, it's not much. What would it take for us to walk away from our faith? What would it take for us to give up? our conviction, because we can explain a million things away in our lives. We are masters of the explanation. We can explain away a million things. And the message of the world that creeps into the church is bound now so you can stand later. The message in these types of moments that creeps in is bound now so you can stand later. All you got to do is bow this one time and who's going to know? All you got to do is give in this one time and who's going? These three Hebrew boys had to be saying it's the three of us out on the plain of Dura among thousands. It's just the three of us. Who's going to know if we bow now? Who's going to know if we, if we give in? In fact, we be doing the spiritual thing by bowing now because God wants revival to come to Babylon. And we need to be alive in order for revival to come to Babylon. And so we need to bow now so we can stand later. And so we'd be doing the spiritual thing. Because we're really not bowing in our hearts. We're just bowing, you know, in the physical. We're not bowing in our hearts. And so if revival needs to come to this nation, we need to be alive for that to happen. And so this must be the path. So the message is that creeps in, bow now so you can stand later. We have to be alive, they think. But for them to say, and for these three Hebrew boys, I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Because for them, they said, you know what, even if it doesn't work out for us, even if it doesn't, we know our God is willing and we know he is able. But even if it doesn't work out the way we want it to, I'd rather die than bow. I'd rather do what God has called me to do than bow. There's got to be a level of conviction. And we'll deal with that at the end of this series. What is the cross to us? What is the cross to us? Is this a message of convenience? Is this something we got into because Jesus was going to make all of our dreams come true? Is this a a social club that we just like to enjoy going to on Sunday mornings that we just enjoy? Or have we had an encounter with the living God? Have we had an encounter with the living God? Have we had an encounter with the cross and Jesus Christ who has changed our lives? And have we actually encountered that now the message of our lives is to spread the gospel to every person who would hear it? Who let them know you don't have to pay for your own sins. That Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again so you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. Is that the message of our life or is it a message of convenience? What is the cross to us? What is the cross to us? What is the message to us? And I told you we'll deal with that in this series. But we have to have that conviction in our lives if we're going to stand. We have to have that message to others that this life is not about this life. That it's not about just what we can get out of Christianity. This life is not about that. Our message of the cross is that we have to see as many people pass from death to life. That there are people who are waiting on the other side of our obedience to hear the message of the gospel. That everything we do from here on out, everything we do now that Christ has made us new is about finding the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the calling of our life, everybody. And so everything we do, has to we have to stay focused on the things that matter. And it does not matter what happens in this life. It doesn't matter what happens to us. There is nothing that can happen to us. We have to stand and say there's nothing they can do to us that would make us quit. There's nothing that they can do to us that would make us recant the gospel. That what our eyes are set on is eternity. And that's what matters. This life is not about this life. This life is about the life to come. That this life is just a vapor. What matters is eternity. And there's nothing that can move us from the unchangingness of God's word. From the principles of his word. What will it take for us to quit? What's our breaking point? Might be maybe if you lost your job. Or maybe if your marriage fell apart. Or maybe, if, maybe even if your kid ran away from God. Or maybe if something happened in your life. Or God forbid somebody that you actually love. Got sick and actually died. And now it becomes personal. What would it take? What's our breaking point? These guys said there's nothing you can take from us. There's nothing you can do to us. We're not going to bow. There's nothing you can do, O King. Our expectation is that God will save us, but even if He doesn't, we're still never going to bow. We're going to stand. Even if He doesn't. And amazing thing about this message that they received, that if you bow now, you can stand later. Amazing thing that that thing has crept into the church now, thousands of years later. That if you bow now, you could stand later for hope and the gospel and love. I would submit to you that if you bow now, there will be no standing later. Because if you compromise on your principles of God's word, you compromise on what we are called to do. That if we bow before culture, if we bow before what they ask us to value, we bow before who they say our God should be. If we bow now, there will be no standing later. Every time you compromise, you compromise, everybody. We need to stand because I want you to see in this moment, it's only by standing that they bring revival to Babylon. It's only by doing what they did. Verse 19, all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He said His face changed. His actual facial expressions. And he began, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded his soldiers. I love this part of the story. Because what kind of anger issue does King Nebuchadnezzar have? Like you watch this issue he has in this part of the story. Where he's like, you know that people burning furnace we have? Seven times hotter, like you know that that temperature we keep it at. Like get my furnace guy in here, like you can imagine, like get that, get that. You know that people burning thing we have. We gotta heat that bad boy up. Like we gotta, it is an issue, everybody. It is. So he just, it's an issue he has. I don't know. It just so he orders his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and then throw them into the burning furnace. In this blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes. I love this part of the story too. We're just gonna to take a pause for time out. Because I love when the Bible gives us details. I just enjoy that part of the Bible, it's one of my favorite things. But you got these guys, and they're wearing their they got their their pants and their underwear and their hats and stuff, right? They're wearing all of this, and it says their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes. Like what a watch? Like what <laughs> Like, they got Jordans on? Like, I don't understand. It's like, it gives us all these details. And then it's like, other clothes. Like, I need some more. Like, what are other clothes, everybody? Sorry, that's just my brain. That's just how it is. So we'll keep on. We're bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them in the fire. These men died. And so these men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. And this is the part of the story that we all hate. Because in our theology, if we just take our stand against public opinion, and a few people write some nasty things about us on Facebook, and we can withstand that. As long as they write some things about us on Instagram, as long as we can withstand that, then we are suffering for the gospel. We have suffered for them. I lost 12 followers because I put that thing up on there. I love, I hey, just, uh, I am suffering for Jesus. Some people DM me and said I was being hateful because of that thing that I, I just, I just, I am suffering for the master. Because in our theology, if we just endure that little bit, whatever happens after we take our stand, then we have suffered for the gospel. At about this point in the story, we want everything to change. We don't mind a little bit, like maybe just a little bit. That's pretty easy to withstand. But we want everything to change. We took our stand, everybody. It was amazing. And then the angel of the Lord came down, killed all the Babylonians, right? Set all of the Jews free. Revival came to the nation. It was this incredible thing, but that's not what happened. Unfortunately, as much as I love you, I have to tell you the truth this morning. And that is, unfortunately, oftentimes we end up in the fire. Unfortunately, most of the time, there is a lion's den waiting on the other side of your obedience. Now, we take our stand and unfortunately, a lot of times we end up in the fire. Paul had trials and persecutions. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods. Paul was several times. He was stoned with rocks and stone several times in Paul's life. He endured all of that. The story usually doesn't go how we would predict for it to go. Which is why we desperately have to answer that question. What would it take for us to quit? What is our breaking point? We have to answer that question. We have to set that in our lives and in our hearts. What is my breaking point? What is the thing that's good? Because most generations before us in America have not had to answer that question. Have not had to answer that. And I pray if the Lord tarries, we will not as well. But it might happen in our generation. It might happen in our kids' generation. Will we endure actual persecution? And I've told you this before, my great grandparents' families in Armenia were killed for their faith, beheaded, marched off of cliffs, marched into the desert to die for their faith in Jesus. And I have met personally believers around the world who are living in persecution right now for the faith in Jesus Christ, for the lives that they are living. And so as your pastor, I can allow a lot of things and I can have a lot of conversations. And I know you all love me, but I will offend you, probably all of you in this particular area. If we ever start to list and to label the trivial as persecution. Because there are believers around the world right now who are giving their lives for the gospel. Will we endure when our time comes? Will we endure? What will it take for us to quit? What is our breaking point? And if I can just encourage you though this morning. I would tell you that there is nothing to fear in the fire. When we get thrown into the actual fire, there's nothing to fear there. There's nothing to fear in the actual fire. There should be no fear in taking your stand. There's nothing to fear about following Jesus. Because the Bible says his is the only name by which men are saved. His is the only name under heaven and earth by which men and women are saved. He is the only way to follow. It's the only path that is right. And so there should be no fear in following Jesus. It's what's laid out before us. And where he leads us, we will follow. Where he leads us, we will follow. Three things you find when you take your stand. And you find yourself in the fire. Three things you find. First one is you're going to find Jesus like you have never imagined in your life. You're going to find him in the midst. You're going to experience the Lord like you never have when you take your stand. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar jumps up from his throne in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Like he's asking them like, We throw so many people in there. I lost count. Like we just weren't there three, not seven, not five. Weren't there three? And he replied, certainly your majesty. And he said, look, I see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I think I see Jesus in that fire. I think I see Jesus walking around in that fire. I think I see it. Listen to me. When you are in the fire, you will encounter God like you never could when your life was easy and cushy. You will encounter God like you never believed. And let's just be honest with each other for just a minute. If I asked you to tell me your story of when Jesus walked with you in this life, when Jesus was there for you, you're not going to tell me about all the mountaintop and easy experiences that you went through. If I asked you, give me the testimony when God showed himself strong in your life. You're not going to tell me all the times you lived on the mountaintop when things were sunny and everything went easy and everything went the way you thought it should. You're going to tell me about the times that God walked you through some of the hardest things you ever walked through in life. That Jesus was with you in some of the deepest and darkest fires that you ever fell into. That he was with you in the midst of it. You're going to tell me about those times. And I ask you about your testimony. You're going to tell me about the times that Jesus was with you. That maybe you were lost and now that you're found. That maybe you were sick and now you are whole. That maybe you were addicted and now Jesus has set you free. Come on, so we can give a testimony of that, that maybe you were running far from God and he brought you back home, that maybe your kids were far from God, but now they're serving the Lord with everything inside of them. That Maybe your marriage was broken, but God brought supernatural reconciliation and restoration. You're going to tell me about those times when you're in the fire, when Jesus is with you, when he walks with us. That's the times that we're going to bring up. And there is nothing in this life that can take the faith from you because you have seen him work. You have seen God move. You have seen him answer when you called. You have seen him in the midst of distress bring his peace. You have seen him when you were shipwrecked like Paul. You have seen him save you out of the midst of deep waters. You have seen him walk with you. And so when we talk about what God has done in our lives, we have seen him. We have seen him move in ways we could never dream possible. You never would have seen it had you not been in the fire. And let me just encourage you even more. Jesus doesn't keep you from the fire. He joins you in the midst of it. He joins you in the midst of it. These guys are just hanging out in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar has to call them back out of the fire because they're just, they're just hanging out in the midst. Jesus in the midst of it is having this moment because they weren't afraid. He's in the midst of it. When you have that faith that you say, God walks with me, Psalms 23. It's been, my, it's been my verse for the last six months. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you're with me. Even though I walk through because I know your rod and your staff, they comfort me prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. He's with us in the midst of the fire. That he joins us in the midst of it. The Lord is my helper, Hebrews says. I can say with confidence, whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? We have to say that with all confidence. Now, it's amazing when you find Jesus in the midst of that fire, you also find freedom. You find freedom. There's some things in your life that get settled when you walk through those issues. There's some things. Verse 25 says, look, they're just walking around in the fire. They're just hanging out. And watch what he says. He says, I see four walking around in the fire. They're They're just walking around unbound and unharmed. He says, when they fell in, when those soldiers threw them in, it says they fell bound into the midst of the fire. But when they got in there, they started hanging around. And it says, the son of the God, when Jesus is with them. It says now they're unbound and unharmed. The thing, when they're in this faith, when they are in the fire, they were free. It burned some stuff off of them that bound them in their lives. When they had an encounter with Jesus, when they had that encounter, they were free. Let me tell you something, church. This season that we have walked through some things that we have gone through, they have put some stark perspective into our life about what actually matters and what doesn't. Some things that we chased after, some things we gave our lives to that we realized didn't really matter all that much in the midst of this season. And I pray that you had to make some decisions about what actually matters in life of eternity. Like, are we really going to give all of our time to that? Are we really going to give all of our effort to that? Are we really going to do this seven days a week? Are we really going to do all these things that don't really, in the light of eternity, don't really matter? And I would pray that some of those things that you had to kind of cast off, some of those things you had to give up, some of those things you recognized maybe didn't matter all that much, I pray that we would keep some of those convictions as we move forward. Because it's so easy to slip back into it. It's so easy to be bound again by the thing that the fire helped us to be free from. So easy to let those ropes and those chains come back on us. So easy to give into that. What culture tells you is important and what you should be chasing. When you walk through the fire, it breaks some things off your life. There's some freedom that happens because they were fully bound when they threw in. But when they had that encounter, it says they were walking around unbound and unharmed. They were free, everybody. When you have that, when Jesus sets you free, don't run back to that thing that had you bound. When he sets you free. Don't, don't run back to the thing that had you bound in the first place. Don't let the robes come back on you. Because it says also that they were unharmed. Verse 27 says this. It says they came back out of the fire and they weren't harmed. And their bodies were... Th-. And it says all the leaders that he had called to worship the idol, they gathered instead around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So they came out of that fire. They were, they were unbound and free. They came out of that fire. There was freedom that comes to your life. You know, you will be the greatest walking testimony to the just the freedom and the peace of God. You will be the greatest testimony to the world. All those satraps and province leaders and governors gathered around them, ran around them and looked that they were not harmed. Not a hair of their head was singed. Nothing had been done to them that they were unbound and free. You will be a testimony to the world around you. And people look at your life and they say, I know what you walk through. There's no way you should have the joy that you have. There's no way you should have the confidence that you have. And I've seen what you've come through, what God has done in your life. No way you should be as free as you are. No way you should live with the freedom. that. uh, No way you should be the way that you are, having walked through what you walk through. And it's a testimony to the greatness and the goodness of God. Not that we are great. He is great. That he has walked us through every step of that. And I love this story. It goes on to say, and there was no smell of fire on them. You know, the devil's lie to your life is that maybe you'll make it through the fire. Maybe you'll come out on the other side, but you're just going to crawl through it and you'll never be the same afterwards. The devil's lie to your life. Maybe you'll eke out some kind of, you know, God's promise to your life is not that you would just come through it, but you would thrive on the other side of it. That God has a promise for your life that you would come through it living into the purpose he has for your life. Because there are some people who come through these fires and they smell like the fire they came through. All of us know somebody like that in our lives. That everything, they might have come through it, but now it's everything they talk about. It's the only thing that defines who they are. It's the ceiling on their life. But God's promise is you would come through this. Listen to me, church. You don't have to smell like what you came through. You don't have to smell like the fire that God brought you through. It says there was no smell of smoke on them. They came out unharmed, unbound. They were free in Jesus' name. And I promise you on the other side of that fire of what God brings you through that you'll find influence. And people will look at your life and they'll say, there's no way you should have that. But somehow you do. I want whatever God has put in your life. I want whatever God has done for your marriage, whatever God did for your kids, whatever God is doing to lead you into the promise. I want that in my life. You will find influence in the world around this church. And we are called to stand. We are called not to bow in this culture, not to bow to what the world says our priorities and our God should be. We are called to take a stand. Not because we hate the world. Not because we somehow have this this thing. We have it out. No, because we love them and we want them to see the goodness of our God. We want them to see what God has done in our lives. And we need to set the example, church. Before all, that we are an example of the love of God to this world. We need to find influence And I believe that God will move in this way. I believe there is a revival that's coming. I believe God's going to move like we have never seen him move before. That God has plans for our life. Because you will find influence. Nebuchadnezzar looked at these guys and watched this. He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. And they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship or bow any God except the one God of our lives. The one God whose name under heaven and earth except him. He said, praise be the God of Abraham. Praise be the God of these guys. Praise be the God that we serve. Because on the other side of this, on the other side of this, we find influence. They chose potentially at the expense of their lives. They said, we're not going to bow. I believe church, I just want you to know, I believe this is a year we're going to have to stand. This is a year we're going to have to stand for our convictions. We're going to have to know what we believe and why we believe it. We're going to have to take a stand for what God has called us to. We're going to stand on the principles of God's word. We're going to take our stand because there are some things God has called us to do. There's some things God has called us to accomplish. There are souls waiting on the other side of our obedience, waiting to hear the gospel. And we have to take that stand. But the message of the message of the world that creeps in too often times is bow now so you will stand later we need to cast that off we need to take our stand I believe like I said I believe that God's about to move like we have never seen him move he's about to bring revival to our nation he's about to bring revival to our world but it will not happen will not happen unless we stand these three guys they could have said, yeah, we'll bow now so we can stand later. I promise you if they had bowed then, God would have raised up revival from somewhere, but it wouldn't have been them. They would have been lost in that plain of Dura. They would have lost. God would have raised it up, but it wouldn't have been them. We are called church to stand in this moment. We're not waiting for some more convenient time. We are standing with conviction in this moment. We're going to stand for what God is going to do in this world. We're going to stand for what a godly life looks like. We're going to stand for what a godly marriage looks like, what a godly family, what a godly church looks like. God wants to move in this world, but it will not happen unless we stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed with me today as we pray. I just want to pray God's blessing over you. And there would be an anointing on our lives this year. That would be the best year of your life if it's the best year spiritually. I truly believe that. Before I pray that blessing, I just want you to know there may be some of you here today watching online. There may be some of you who hear this later when you're watching this sermon. But whenever it is, there's some of you who find yourself far from God today. I want you to know that he wants you. I don't know what it was that drove you from him, but I want you to know that he wants you today. Or maybe you're here and you've been following God, but you found yourself bowing to things you never would have expected. And maybe you caved in on your conviction to some. Maybe there was something that drove you away from God and towards the world. Maybe the music played and you bowed. I want you to know that God's not mad at you today. He's not looking to get even with you. I want you to know he's come to rescue you. That no matter what it is that has you bound, no matter what it is that has you tied up, no matter what it is that the world is trying to do to your life, I want you to know God has come to rescue you. But he's not looking to judge you. He's coming to set you free. But the Bible says Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood and then he rose from the grave three days later so that anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. I want that for you so badly. I want that for you so badly. If there's no decision you can make in your life more important than the decision to follow Jesus. So right now, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're not rushing through this. This is your moment. That wherever you are right now, you can make that decision to follow him. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. All of our church is going to pray it with you. All of us are so excited if you make that decision. We want to pray this prayer with you. Nobody prays alone. But you have to say these words and you have to mean them. Not making anybody stand up or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. All I want to do is connect you with Jesus. It'd be my honor to baptize you at the end of this month, to have you make that declaration before the church. But right now it's between you and your Savior. Right now, you make that decision in your own heart. But if that's you, you say, I want to follow Him. You say, maybe I bow to something I never thought I would. And I want to rededicate my life. If that's you right now, I want you to pray that prayer. And church, let's pray it with them. Say these words. Say, dear Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus name, God, as we go out into this world, Father, I thank you that you have chosen us to be alive at this time in history. I thank you, God, that you have established our church at this moment for this culture, for these people. God, that you have established us as Christians at this time in history, that you have purpose for our life, that you have called us to make a difference. And God, as our crisis God, continues continues. As our culture continues to live under this crisis, God, we ask that you would make us strong in the midst of it. We thank you that you are the solution. God, we thank you that you are the answer. We thank you, God, and we pray that you would give us incredible faith. God, that we would be people of conviction. God, that you would surround us in community with other followers and believers of Christ. You would make us strong in the midst God, I pray that we would be examples to the world around us. God, we thank you that you've chosen us to be a light. God, that as we take our stand, Lord, that as we go out into this world, I pray you would give us the faith and the strength to stand for what you have called us to. I pray that blessing over every person. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give God praise for what he's done today?